If you've never seen that movie, it's Remember the Titans. It's one of my favorite. I get a little misty-eyed just watching that little preview there. It's a story of how Coach Herman Boone comes into a high school where there is racial tension and division and unites the football team. Uh, it's, a, it's a diverse team. It's a diverse country. It's, a, it's in the midst of racial tension in the South. Uh, and he leads the team to a state championship. In order to succeed, the individual players had to give up preferences and prejudices. They had to sacrifice for one another and for a common cause. The movie is wonderful. It's, uh, it's great messages in the movie. Uh, it's based on a true story, although the true story is not nearly as sensational as the movie makes it out to be. Uh, so the movie's definitely better than the, than the true story in this case. Uh, but there's an even more sensational story um, about sacrifice and unity that I believe is uh, completely and totally true. And we have been studying that story for the past few weeks uh, in the book of Acts as we've been talking about the mission of the early church. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Uh, I will put the text on the screen as usual. With the lightning here today, it's a little harder to see, uh, but I'll still have the text up there. Uh, so Acts chapter 4, we've been following the, uh, along the story of the early church with the apostles after they'd been sent out by Jesus to uh, proclaim the message that he had given them and how this early church began. And uh, last week we saw how after Peter and John had been arrested by the temple authorities and had been threatened no longer to teach in Jesus' name, they gathered together and they prayed for more boldness to speak the word. And they prayed that God would be at work with signs and wonders in the community. Uh, and Luke tells us what happens next. After this prayer, uh, Luke chapter 4 will begin in verse 32. Luke tells us that all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. Everyone was in agreement. Which leads to the question... Well, what were they in agreement about? What were they unified about? What, what was the source of this unity? And the context seems to be they were unified about the mission to which they had been called. In the previous uh, verses, we read how they prayed that God would give them boldness to speak the word. They were unified about making known the message of Jesus to those who hadn't heard. They were unified in taking care of each other. Which leads us to a question. How important is unity really? How important is unity really? At the end of the day, how important is it to be one in heart and mind? Uh, in order to answer that question, I want to read to you a quote from uh, Publius Cyrus. He was a Latin moralist and philosopher, and he wrote this. He said, Ibi semper est victoria, ubi concordia est. Right? Good stuff. Oh, so it translated, that, that means this. It means where there is unity, there is always victory. Where there is unity, there is always victory. We know this to be true in our own lives. The greatest threat to the success of any team, any organization, any family is division and discord. Disunity. As a matter of fact, studies have shown that when it comes to success... Teamwork is more important than talent. When it comes to success, teamwork is more important than talent. They've done studies in sports and in organizations, and sometimes uh, having all of the talent in one place does not guarantee success. Sometimes that means 
it almost guarantees that you're not going to be successful because when you've got a bunch of talent together, everybody is vying for position, everybody is vying for notoriety, everybody wants to be the star player, the star, the, the leader on the team. And so when you have a bunch of talent together, sometimes that actually means that you're not going to be successful. Some of my favorite stories in sports are the teams that don't have any star players on them, but who come together as a team to defeat the, the, the team that has all of the stars because they know that teamwork and unity can go farther. Uh, I've even seen this you know, in Hollywood. Sometimes it's the movies that have all of the stars that are the worst. If I see a, a preview for a movie that has like 10 or 12 famous people, I usually know that's probably not going to be a very good movie because oftentimes you have everybody who's trying to be the star and nobody's working together for the overall goal. Teamwork is more important than talent. I think this per is, is maybe why in one of Jesus' final prayers before his crucifixion, he prayed for the unity of his followers. I'm going to read to you a, a passage out of John chapter 17. Here's what Jesus prays. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me. This is in the garden, John tells us, before his crucifixion. And if you think about it, somebody's final prayer tells you a lot about their priorities. If you think about what you would pray for, sort of if you knew that your, your time on earth was coming to an end, the things that you pray for reveal your priorities. These are Jesus' priorities. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be really smart. I pray for those who believe in me, that all of them may have just perfect doctrine. That they may all always have perfect health and never experience any suffering. It's not what Jesus prays for. He says, I pray that all of them may be what? One. Unified. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. That, think about that. That Jesus' prayer for his followers, not just his immediate followers, but all who would eventually believe in him, that they would be as unified as a body as the Father was with the Son. It's pretty unified. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, Jesus says, then the world will know that you sent them and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says that it's the unity of his followers that will be the witness to the world of God's love for them. When believers are unified together, it's a witness of God's love. This is Jesus' dying prayer for his followers, that there would be unity. And it seems to come true, at least for a little while. This prayer seems to be answered, at least for a little while, in the book of Acts. We're going to move on uh, back to Acts chapter 4. Luke says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were unified. But not only that, it says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared a few of their possessions. They shared everything they had. In other words, their unity went beyond just mental agreement. It went beyond just affirming the same belief statements. It went beyond just saying, oh, you know, in their minds, oh, sure, we believe the same things. We want the same things in mind. It went into practical action. In the Greek, 
There's an emphasis here on no one. Luke says not even one person claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. You know, if I'm honest, that level of unity and selflessness is hard for me to even imagine. It's hard for me to even imagine a group of people that unified that they were one in heart and mind, and they just said, you know what, whatever I have, it's all in for the mission. What's mine is yours, everything. I'm all in. This mission is so important to me that there's nothing that's more important to me. Whatever I've got, it's yours. The old Spanish phrase, mi casa es su casa, right? My house is your house. They really lived this out. Everything they had, they shared with one another. They were all in. They were defined by their mission and by their community. It wasn't just one of the aspects of their life. It's not like they just went to their meeting once a week and then sort of went on with everything else. Their entire life became wrapped up in this mission and in this community. Which led me to a question. And this is what I'm going to ask for some audience participation here. What would compel people to live this way? Because in my mind, it's, it's actually hard for me to fathom people really living this way. It, it, it's almost hard for me to believe that there was a group of people who actually lived this way. It seems like such a pipe dream. So help, help me out. What would actually compel people to live this way? You're as stumped as I am. <laughs> that may be. I think that may be. They, they believe the second coming is going to be around any time. What else? Is that it? Is that the only reason that they, they, they were willing to do it? Because they, they thought it wasn't going to cost them much in the end? Because Jesus is going to come back and so it won't, you know, they don't have to worry about retirement. They don't have to worry about anything else. Maybe. I mean, I think that's, I think that's possible. Um, they believe Jesus was going to come back. And so if, you, if, you, if Jesus is going to come back next week, then what you have doesn't matter. Right? But if, if you're not sure if he's going to come back, then, then holding on to things, maybe that, maybe that fear starts to creep in. Maybe they really believed in the mission. Maybe they really believed that reaching the, all of the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ was, was worth everything they had. Again, it's hard, for me to, it's hard for me to imagine a community actually living this way. But, but Luke tells us that they did. The story goes on. It says, And great... And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. And this caught my attention, because the way that Luke tells the story, the powerful witness that the apostles gave only came after there was great unity and sacrifice among the body of the faithful. In other words, that what enabled the leaders to, to, to go out and carry out the mission in the community was the fact that there was unity within the body of believers. It was, it was their sacrifice and their care for one another that sort of freed up the apostles and the leaders to go out and pursue mission. They didn't have to stay back and, and babysit the, the, the division and the, and the, um, the issues that the, the people were taking care of each other. And it freed up the apostles and the leaders to go out and be at work in mission in the community. Without the unity in the, in the church, the apostles wouldn't have been free to go out and give great witness to the resurrection. It's interesting to me that, that the, the power and the witness comes only after the unity in the, in the community of the believers. Uh, which leads me to this observation. 
the, effectus, the effectiveness of the church as a whole was directly related to the sacrificial commitments of its individual members. The effectiveness of the church as a whole was directly related to the sacrificial commitments of its individual members. Without the, the, the regular believers, so to speak, the non-apostles, sacrificially committing themselves and taking care of one another in the community, that there wouldn't have been the effective church that they had. It, it went together. In other words, it wasn't just the apostles. The success of the early church wouldn't have happened without the sacrificial commitment of the early believers, the ones who we don't know their names. Stated another way, there's no success without sacrifice. There's no success without sacrifice. When you think about all of the stories of success that, that we, we think about, the people who have done great things uh, in the world, it's people who have been willing to risk it all, who have been willing to sacrifice time and resources and finances and, and sometimes their, their own lives to accomplish something greater than themselves. There's no success without sacrifice. The story continues. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody sold everything they had because we know that they still met together in many of their houses. So what we see here is probably them getting rid of you know, selling anything extra. So people who had um, more than one house or more than one field or extra of anything, they, they sold the extra. They kept only what they needed for the community to work. And then they, they brought the rest of the apostles and said, if there's anybody else who has any kind of need, give it away. Let's let's let's. Let's have radical unity and equality in this community. Uh, it, it, and we read this, we're familiar with this in the early church. We have to remember that, that this kind of, of radical community would have been unfathomable in that culture. In the culture of the Greeks and the Romans, you only gave something to somebody else if you believed that they could then do something for you later. There was this, this idea of reciprocity. So you might be generous to your buddy, but only if you believe that your buddy could then be generous to you at some time in the future. You gave to someone else because you knew that you could get something back in the future. This idea where you have the rich and the poor coming together and standing on equal ground and taking care of one another was unfathomable in that culture. And I believe this is one of the reasons that the church was so successful and the reason that one of the, the church spread like it did because you have rich and poor and master and slave and all of these different groups coming together in one community where everybody views everybody else as equal. And, and you give not because you think that you're going to get something for it. You give to the community not because you believe that you're going to get something back but because, because that's what you, you see that, that Christ had done for you. And you try to pay that forward to somebody else. In a world of reciprocity, in a world of I'm only going to do something for someone else because I might get something out of it, this radical unity, this radical sacrifice, this radical, I'm going to give you a big word, egalitarianism, means equality. It would have gotten, it would have gotten the attention of the world around them. They would have seen this community of people who loved each other so much that they were willing to give up whatever. 
Luke then gives us a very specific example of one person who did just this. He says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Regular guy, it seems. He's a, he's a Levite. He serves in the, in the temple area. He owned a land. He owned a field. We don't know if it was in Jerusalem or we don't know if it was back home in Cyprus. But wherever it was, he said, you know what? I've got this field. There's need in the community, so I'm going to sell it and I'm just going to bring it to the apostles or lay it at their feet. And we see a very specific example. And we're going to learn more about Barnabas in a few weeks. He ends up becoming one of the apostles who plants a church with Paul in Antioch. This is where the, the church where the term Christian first came about. So it seems like Barnabas, as he, as he catches the vision of what God is doing, he, he lets go of everything that he doesn't need. He gives it to the body of community, and, and this grows his faith where he then becomes a leader and a church planter. So as I was thinking about this this week, as I was studying this week, as I was honest about the fact that this kind of radical community is something that seems unfathomable even to me today, I thought about this question. What would inspire us to that kind of commitment? What would inspire me to that kind of commitment? To say, you know what, whatever, anything that is extra to me, I'm just going to sell it and I'm going to give it to the community. My entire life is going to be defined by this mission, by this community. What would inspire me to do that? When we look through history, we see that tragedy often does this in a community for a, for a period of time. When, there, when there's a tragedy in a community, when there's a, a devastating tornado or flood or fire, we see communities come together like this for a short period of time. We see people give sacrificially, give what they don't have, open their homes to everybody else. Um, and it, it lasts for a period of time, then we all sort of fall back to the status quo. But I wonder, why does it take a tragedy? Why does it take a tragedy to bring us together and to remind us that there's something bigger than ourselves? So I've got some questions for us to ponder. First one is this. What would all in look like for me? What would it look like if I was really all in like these early believers in Acts? What would it look like if I really said, you know what, God? Everything's on the table. This... I want to be defined by my relationship with you. I want to be defined by the mission that you've called me to. What would all in look like for me? Question number two. What is keeping me from doing that? What's keeping me from doing that now? Why am I not living in that way now? Do I, do I not believe that the mission is... Important enough? Is it, is it fear? Is it selfishness? What, this is just, you know, this is me asking me, right? And, and you ask you this week. What, what is keeping me from doing that? And this third question gets at something we mentioned earlier. What would I do differently today if I knew that Jesus would be coming back any day? If I really believed that Jesus could come back at any moment... What would I do differently today? With my time, with my finances, 
with my talents and abilities, with my family, what would I do differently today if I really believed Jesus could come back, could come back any day? And I didn't put this one on here, but why aren't I doing that today? Should we, and this is just a question to consider, and, and may, I, don't, I don't know if I necessarily know the answer. It, should we live differently if we knew Jesus Christ was coming back next week or next month or next year? Should we live differently knowing that he hasn't come back for 2,000 years and he may not come back in our lifetime? Probably won't. And so should that affect the way that we live? Or should we, like the early church, be all in anyway? I don't know. What I do know is that it was this church 2,000 years ago that turned the world upside down. I know that what they I know that we wouldn't be sitting here today if it hadn't been for their radical commitment and generosity and sacrifice for the mission. It was only because people 2000 years ago were willing to go all in and say this mission means everything to me that we are here today because they thrived and survived and sent missionaries who sent missionaries and we are here today. Are there people 2,000 years from now, or even 10 years from now, or even one year from now, who maybe would be sitting in a place like this because we decided, you know what, I want to go all in. Are there people who are dependent upon us today, giving radically and sacrificially of our time and of our finances and our abilities so that they can come to experience the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are there kids or grandkids or neighbors or co-workers who are depending on us to carry forth the mission that we've been entrusted? We've been handed down this mission through generations, people who are willing to give, people who are willing to sacrifice. And what happens when that stops? What happens when, when churches say, you know what, that was good for them, but I've got retirement to think about. That was good for them, but I've got bills to pay. That was good for them, but I've got vacations I want to take. That was good for them, but you don't know how busy I am. There, we are sitting here today as the legacy of people who sacrificed before us. And I believe that there are people who will be sitting in places like this if we are willing to go all in. If we're willing to trust God and say, I believe what you said. I believe what you did for me. And I believe that you will take care of me. I trust that you will meet my needs as I am obedient to the mission. I don't know what it would look like for us to do this. But I believe that, that this is the, the mission to which we have been called. I believe that there are people out there who, if we are willing to give and invest, will have a chance at eternal life because we were willing to sacrifice maybe a little bit more time, maybe a little bit more finances, maybe a little bit more comfort in order to see the mission of God come to pass in our lives, in our community, in our churches. 
So I, I want you to, to think about these questions. I want you to pray about these questions as, as the weeks go on. What would it look like in 2018 for me to be all in? Or, or, or maybe that's too much. Maybe that's too much. Maybe what would it look like for me to take one more step? What would it look like for me to give maybe just a little more time? What would it look like for me to get maybe just a little more of my finances? What would it look like for me to, to maybe go outside of my comfort zone just one step in 2018? Maybe you don't need to get to all in this year. But what would it look like for you to take one more step with your time, with your finances, with your talents, with your, your, your resources? What would it look like for you to, to, to be involved just a little bit more in the mission? One more foot forward in advancing the mission. I want, you to, I want you to pray about that. God, what can I do in 2018 to make the mission more of a priority in my life? Can, can I squeeze a little bit more time? Can I squeeze a little bit more money? And, and I want you to trust God in the process. Because I believe that there's no sacrifice that we give. We can't outgive God. He's already given us so much. But, but he promises time and time again that those who are willing to give, those who are willing to sacrifice, he opens doors, he pours out blessings, both now and in all of eternity. What would it look like in 2018 to take one more step to make mission a little bit more of a priority? What would it look like for us as a church? What's our next step into mission? What do we need to do as a community here to become more outward focused in reaching those who don't yet have this, this relationship that we have? I want you to pray about that for the next couple of weeks and think about it. And if you have ideas, if God gives you something, you say, hey, I, I have an idea, bring it to me. Because it, it, can't, it can't be just the leaders. It can't be just the leaders. The, the, the success of the early church happened because everybody was all in. If the pastor is the only one who is radically committed to mission, nothing is ever going to work. So if, if God, if you're praying about it and you get this idea, you say, hey, I think this would be a, a neat idea to try. That's why we've got this food drive. Because Cheryl and others said, hey, we believe that we can make an impact in this community by doing this thing. And, and it was something that she has led and, and the women's group is leading together. And I, it, we need the ideas. We need the input. We need, we need the, the service and, and the sacrifice from everybody if we're going to be successful. At this thing. So what would it look like for us as individuals? What would it look like for us as a church to really live like we believed, like the mission was the most important thing in the world? Let's pray. Father, as we look at these texts, it's, it's hard to imagine a community actually living that way. It's hard to imagine people who are so devoted to mission, that they're willing to just lay anything and everything on the table and say, God, whatever you need, here it is. Father, I think we might be tempted sometimes to say, well, that was then and that was possible. It was a different time, but that's just not possible now. But Father, I think in our heart of hearts, we know otherwise. I think we, we know that you're the same God yesterday, today, forever. So, Father, whatever it is that's holding us back, whether it's fear or uncertainty or selfishness or whatever it is. I just pray that you would, you would take those things from us, that you would inspire us, that you would help us to take just one, one next step 
that you would make that clear for each of us as individuals, that you would make that clear for us as a church. Father, I pray that you would help us to become this kind of community, a community that is so captured by your vision, so captured by your mission, that we would be willing to sacrifice and give above and beyond what we have before for the sake of reaching those who need what it is that you have to offer. Father, give us your eyes for this community. Give us your eyes for our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and, and, and those who, who need your love and your grace and your peace and your mercy and your healing. Help us to see these things through your eyes and inspire us to live. Father, may we leave a legacy that others will look back and say it was because of the sacrifice of those people a year, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years ago that we're here now. Let us be the kind of people that leave a story behind of how we gave everything and you used that for your good and your glory. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for second and third starts. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.